You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Just before we get to our guests, if you'd like us to continue bringing these interviews to you, then consider making a pledge. Go to the donate page on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and help sustain us. We want to help as many people around the world have a better understanding of medical cannabis to help them or someone they care about. That's CannabisHealthRadio.com, and go to the donate page. Our guest today is one of those rare and caring individuals who selflessly helps people. He describes himself as a cannabis consultant, but he is much more than that. He's a lifesaver to many people with life-threatening diseases who are looking for alternative treatments or those who have exhausted the services of mainstream medicine without success. And joining us from the sunny climes of Jamaica is Jeff Ditchfield. Jeff, it's very good of you to do this. Uh, We appreciate it. Thanks very much. It's very good to talk to you. Now, when you got involved in helping people many years ago, I understand it started by helping a friend who had multiple sclerosis. Tell us that story. Yeah, I had um, been contacted by a friend who'd had MS for a number of years. And when I saw her, she looked very, very ill. In fact, iller than I'd seen her in a long time. And she explained that she used cannabis to treat her MS and that she had trouble getting it recently, so she hadn't had any, and it had taken its effect on her. And the most recent time in Liverpool when she tried to obtain some cannabis, uh, she was actually robbed at knife point, so that scared the hell out of her, obviously. And I started thinking about, well, it's only a plant, how hard can it be to grow? And it all sort of started there. How is your friend doing today? Uh, She's doing great. Um, Obviously, she doesn't have to worry about... um, her supply of cannabis anymore because she's self-sufficient and that really was the start of Bud Buddies uh, teaching people to be self-sufficient and empowering them to look after themselves if they can. When you first started growing cannabis on your own how successful were you? Well not very because I think I germinated my first uh, cannabis seed when I was probably in my late 30s and the only time I'd ever germinated a seed prior to that was when I was in primary school. So my first attempts weren't very successful, but I obviously had a good motive to help my friends, so I persevered, and um, yeah, I'm not a bad grower now. It's all about trial and error, isn't it? Exactly. Um, that's my view, is there's no such thing as a failed experiment um, if you learn from the mistakes. If something doesn't work, don't do it again. Jeff, you set up Bud Buddies in 2002 as a non-profit to help people medically. Were the police aware of your activities at the time, as far as you know? Well, yes, they were, because I wrote a letter to every politician in North Wales and uh, the, the chief constable telling them of my intentions as part of the publicity to attract 
attention to the cause of uh, the first cannabis coffee shop in North Wales, which was in Rill in 2002, and that was the uh, Beggar's Belief coffee shop. Tell us about the Beggar's Belief coffee shop. Because I've been talking to my friend about uh, the medical cannabis, I started doing some research in the UK to see what was available for people who were ill. And part of my research, I came across uh, an enterprise in Manchester called the Dutch Experience, set up by a guy called Colin Davis. And this was the first uh, cannabis-style coffee shop in England. So I went over to have a look. Um, I liked what he was doing there with the setup, and that gave me the incentive to open the Beggar's Belief coffee shop in Rill. But there I did something different. I had a public area where anyone could come in and get a coffee. It was also a head shop. But then next door, we had a private members area, which was um, membership only. And that's where the medical side and the interesting bits went on at the Beggar's Belief. Jeff, how did this uh, this occupation, I guess, that you have now of helping people with cannabis, how did it start to explode into what it is today? It's been a gradual process as how the beggar's belief started, actually, was because my friend in Liverpool, she was an administrator at the uh, Northwest MS Society in the UK, and her friends were saying, oh, you're looking much better. So she told them that she had a new supply of cannabis. And because obviously everyone else at the society suffered MS, um, she started asking me, could I help some of her friends? So within six months, um, I think I was I was supplying uh, cannabis to a, a 15 to 20 of her friends in the MS society. And it grew each year. Um, publicity, media, in the very early days, I soon realized that it would be impractical, especially in the UK climate, to try and supply everyone who had a requirement. So that um, gave us our founding principles to empower people to be self-sufficient. And that's what we um, have always done, and that's what we still do today. Tell us about that, Jeff. The real explosion began when we started um, assisting people who are suffering from cancer and that was about five six years ago now and demands grew again but we stuck to our principles of not only teaching people how to grow and be self-sufficient but we also taught them and still teach them how to make extractions safely and how to administer uh, cannabis and treat themselves and about two and a half years ago um our bud buddies, we started getting more and more requests and demands for assistance from parents with seriously ill children. And we made the difficult decision then to uh, concentrate on them. And that's what we do today. We are assisting over 100, uh, the parents of over 100 seriously ill children in the UK at the moment. And recently, people have probably noticed in the media that Darren uh, Blackwell, his mum Callie, has written a book which is... Um, out in a few days and yes she talks about the buddies and how we assisted her um, when she needed it Jeff I want to ask you a question about the work that you do and the demands that are placed on you to help sick children what does that do to you from a psychological perspective um to be fair, the only honest answer I can give is I try not to think of it from that perspective whatsoever. 
Um, it's not a very comfortable place to be. And I also don't see that as a positive move for myself. And there are so many demands on our services and so many parents out there needing assistance that there's always someone who has a question that needs answering or they need some particular form of help at that time. So I try and keep myself busy on that front so I don't spend too much time contemplating that sort of issues. The reason I asked that question, and Corey can probably chime in on this, is because Corey helps so many people around the world, does it seven days a week and hours and hours and hours a day. And at times I can imagine, uh, Jeff, you feel the same way Corey does. You just get a bit burned out. Um, that's a constant feeling, to be honest. That's not not on a game. That's all the time. People keep telling me that, oh, Jeff, you must be having a great time in Jamaica. I've been in Jamaica now for 10 months, and I've been on the beach once. Um, I haven't even been in the sea yet. I always keep thinking, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. There's something else to do today, which is more important. So um, what it's like to have a day off or a bit of R&R, I don't even know if I can do it anymore, to be honest. Because if it was on the beach for the day, I know I'd be thinking, I've got that email to answer. What about little such and such in... And I'm sure you can relate to that, Curry. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I said to myself, okay, I'm going to try and take Sunday off. And you open your email because you just got to check that there isn't anything pressing. And then there's something, particularly if it's a kid or there's somebody who's particularly desperate. And and you can't say no, you know. Um, No. And it becomes overwhelming. There are days where I feel like everybody wants a piece of me and that I can't save the world, but I'm bound to determine I'm going to. And then there's other days where you'll get like a great save of somebody and then you're like, okay, let's go. Let's go save some more people. But it's always there. It's it's always there. Corey, do you ever get the feeling, I get this quite often, sometimes in the morning I wake up and I dread turning on my computer. I I... I dread the thought of opening my emails because I don't know what's going to be there. And yeah. sometimes it's overwhelming, but you always do it. But but it is overwhelming. Ever- yeah. There's that, oh, yeah. my God, okay, what am I going to find? Yeah, like like this morning I opened opened my email and I last looked at that, or messages, and I last looked at them at uh, 10, 10 last night. And I had 97 new messages in the one just the one account, and I'm like, okay all right, let's open them, you know, and then I just sort of skim first to see if there's anything like really, really pressing. But it, yeah, it's like, what are you going to find each day's each day's new? But on the other hand, when you are part of saving somebody's life, particularly a child, well, everybody's life, but children in particular, um, there's no feeling like that. That's certainly true. Um, and a question I uh, quite often get asked, and I'm sure you get the same one is, why do you do it? Yeah. And my answer is, how can I not? That's mine too. How can I, you know, I'm like, how can I not tell people about this? How can I not do this? And (laughs) if a parent in the UK contacts me and um, (laughs) their biggest fear is losing their child who's seriously ill and they've heard about cannabis oil, can I help them? As I say, it's not, it's not why, how how can I? It's how can I not? Because this parent's not going to give up if I say no. And who knows that who they'd end up with? Um, one of the scammers, uh, badly made oil, um, not decarboxylated. So if I don't help them, they're going to end up with God knows what. 
and it's a minefield out there for them and i can in the uk i've got access to good cannabis um there are people uh, there who make very good extractions and we can assist them but it's a case of i couldn't in all conscience say no and my fear of the law um is not enough anymore to stop me doing that I guess the question is, how could anyone live with themselves if they just said, no, I'm not going to help you, I'm going to the beach today, uh, call someone else? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I was um, I, I was talking to someone the other day on a similar subject, and um, I was reminded of, um, I had this image in my head of a, a child drowning in, in, in a river, and all these people running up and down the riverbank saying, isn't someone going to go in and save this child? And it's like, well, yeah, let's all of us do it. And that's why I'm so proud and pleased with Callie and what she's done with her book and being so open about it because it's really kick-started a debate in uh, the UK. And what I want more than anything is a change in the law so that parents can get access to cannabinoids uh, from their oncologists and from the people who have been treating their, their kids. I think that's long overdue. Jeff, just uh, to confirm for people who may not know, Callie is a woman who you helped with her critically ill son, who's now doing very, very well. Yeah, um, Callie's um, got a book out in two days uh, about her son, Darren. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Boy in Seven Billion. And the reason it's called that is because he had two forms of cancer, and he's the only person on the planet to ever have them. One of his cancers, leukemia, um, he had a couple of bone marrow transplants, which didn't work. But when he started ingesting cannabinoids, which was in a tincture form, he started to respond. And to cut a long story short, uh, now three years later, he's in remission. When his mum brought him out to see me in Spain uh, three years ago, he'd only been given two weeks to live. Uh, the, the poor guy had, um, the previous week, in the UK, he'd been to see um, a hospice. I remember him saying to me, he didn't like the hospice, and I asked him what was wrong with it, and he said it was full of old people. And it's really hard talking to a 40-year-old kid who got, should have his whole life ahead of him about, you know, death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeff, as you may know, Canada is going to legalize... Uh, recreational marijuana in July 1st, July 1st of 2018. And I'm just wondering, I know that uh, Argentina has approved medical marijuana. There was another country that uh, South Africa has said that having marijuana in your home, not allowing it in your home, is unconstitutional. So I'm just wondering, have we reached a critical mass in public acceptance of cannabis where politicians over the next few years will look at legalizing it? Um, if you're talking worldwide, I don't think we've reached that point yet. Um, if you're talking about the UK, there's been no movement there whatsoever. And in the UK, things are probably going backwards. But worldwide, um, I still think this movement could be quashed if Donald Trump decided to take a heavy attitude federally and America used their influence at the UN to enforce the UN conventions on cannabis, then I think it could all go 
backwards very quickly. So uh, we still need to keep fighting. Jeff, there was a video that has been uh, on uh, the Internet recently, and it's of you, and it tells your story. And it has over, the last time I checked, I think 1.3 million views, which is uh, astronomical. It was great. But in the video, which we posted on our Facebook page, there's a picture of a baby with a brain tumor. And the tumor is so large that it's coming out of the baby's mouth. Yeah. And it was just absolutely horrific to see that. I mean, it was extremely emotional. What was the story behind that baby? Well, um, I was contacted by the grandparents initially of that uh, poor child. Um, I asked to um, speak to the parents and speaking to the mother as part of uh, sending over the child's medical history and as you can see in the picture it was it was a baby she was so young and the um pictures came with the emails and i thought long and hard about um obviously going in the video but i wanted to give people an idea of what these parents are going through and that there's no assistance out there for them that poor child um, had had the best that the National Health Service in the UK could do. No expense was spared in that child's treatment, yet they couldn't give what the parents wanted to give, which was uh, cannabinoids. So that's where myself and Bud Buddies came in and um, we um, supplied some. But unfortunately, in that case, I don't think it will surprise anyone who's seen that picture. Um, of th that, that child, um, unfortunately, didn't make it. It was just a it was horrific, horrific picture. picture. Yeah. yeah. There's also a picture in the, the short video, Jeff, of a woman whose breast was literally being eaten away by cancer. Yes. Um, again, that was obviously sent to uh, Bud Buddies in an email. And we, again, wanted to illustrate that um, sometimes cancer isn't just the, a, a lump under the skin. Yeah, cancer's, cancer's not pretty. It, exactly, exactly. And this is the reality. And the people who are living with this reality, they need help. And they need cannabis. And they need cannabinoids. And if the government won't give them to them, what the hell are we supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, how how do you sit back and say, oh, well, we'll just wait for the government to come along with a, a, a cure? You know, it's not going to happen. And my biggest wish, Kelly, is that I can sit back because um, if I can sit back, I can, you know, have a bit in R and R. I can chill, and until prohibition ends and people stop messaging me, you, and everyone else looking for help, I'm afraid we can't relax. No, no, that's for sure. Jeff, there's a movie out there that's available on YouTube called Bud Buddies Project Storm. Yes. Um, that's tied in with um, Darren and Callie's story. Uh, Bud Buddies Project Storm was um, a film we started making four years ago, and it followed uh, half a dozen cancer sufferers in the UK and their journey with cannabis oil treating their cancer. So... One of the participants in that documentary was uh, young Darren. But because of his age at the time, which was 13, and because of the nature of what his 
his mum was uh, doing with him, cannabis-wise, we had to ident- um, disguise his identity, so we called him H. That was his code name in uh, the, the Buddies documentary. And if you watch the documentary on YouTube, Buddies Project Storm, yeah, you'll see how sick this poor guy was. Yeah, H, you showed him how to plant a cannabis plant, didn't you? Yeah, I, um... You measured his hand against your hand, and I just watched that this morning, as a matter of fact, Corey. Did you? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, you showed him how to plant uh, his, his uh, cannabis plant. It was great. Yeah, and um, um, I was pleased when I was reading um, an advanced copy of uh, Kelly's book that she was very kind to, uh, kindly sent me, because she refers to that in, in her book about uh, the afternoon that... The first afternoon I spent with H and her... And yeah, it was at my villa in Spain, and I had some plants ready to go in the ground. So I thought, well, you know, why not get a hand off him? And yeah, as you can uh, again see in the video, it was uh, an emotional time. Yeah, very emotional. Jeff, what happens to you if you go back to the UK? Uh, well, when I go back to the UK, same, I, I run the same risk as every time I go back to the UK, the risk of arrest. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I no more worry about getting arrested on my return to the UK anymore now than whether the fact that it's raining, and it usually is. When was the last time you were back? Um, just before Christmas. I returned from Jamaica um, in December. I went through customs, no problem. Um, a guy did come running after me, actually, um, tapped me on the shoulder and asked where I'd been and told him Jamaica, and he said, okay, fine. So that was a bit weird, but apart from that, I had no trouble. But since then, the Unilad film's been out, um, Callie's book's out, so on my next return trip to the UK, who knows? And you have no fear of going to jail? Uh, no, none whatsoever. Um, obviously, it's not something I'd, I'd choose or want to do, but my view is, is I have no option. And until someone can identify a victim of the crimes I'm supposed to be committing, I'm not going to stop. I can't stop. I've even asked in my last Crown Court trial, I asked the Crown, uh, asked the Crown Court judge to identify the victim of my uh, crimes, and he couldn't. It's, uh, it's a crazy system. When you help people, you try and save people, and they throw you in jail. Yet the pharmaceutical companies, which uh, it's not saying all pharmaceuticals are bad, but their marketing of pharmaceuticals is atrocious. But some pharmaceuticals get people hooked. They die from it. Yet uh, nothing is done with respect to uh, illicit drugs. And uh, the whole system is, is just seems to be turned upside down. The plant that can help everyone gets outlawed. Yeah. It's insane. And to be perfectly honest, I think I'd be more of a problem to the UK if I was in prison than being outside because... I decided many years ago that if I ever did go into prison, I'd want to form a prisoner's, u- prisoner's union of everyone who works in the prison so we can go on strike. Um, <laughs> be- because um, it's like a prison only operates in the canteen because the prisoners run it and work it. If them guys went on strike, they'd have to bring in outside caterers, which they couldn't really do because of the security issues. So, yeah, I don't, th- I don't think they want me in prison. <laughs> What's the climate like in uh, Jamaica, cannabis-wise? Like, are you there working, or you're just assisting people from Jamaica, or are you in Jamaica for other purposes as well? 
Um, the answer to all them questions is yes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it's very busy over here. In Jamaica, uh, Jamaica decriminalized cannabis out here about two years ago. So every adult is now entitled by law to grow five cannabis plants personally and carry two ounces of cannabis out in public without fear of arrest. So um, they're also leading to a regulated license system here. Uh, they've, uh, they've formed something called the Cannabis Licensing Authority who will monitor all this. And there are nine classes of cannabis licenses that businesses and individuals can apply for out here. So it's... Uh, Pretty exciting stuff. And as well as the commercial side, there's also, of course, the research and development that's going on. That's continuing. And um, obviously uh, the work in Spain that I'm involved with and also the work in the UK is going on. So as I said, it's a very busy time. Jeff, I want you to talk a bit about uh, the work you do with uh, Manuel Guzman of Madrid University in Spain. Well, Manuel, I first met Manuel about five years ago. His was one of the first papers I read on cannabinoids and cancer. So I sent him an email, never expecting a reply. But, of course, I got one and um, arranged to go out and see him uh, in Madrid. That was the start of um, our association. And since then, um, got to know his department very well. Christina Sanchez, um, who I'm sure your listeners are aware of, her work into breast cancer over the last 10 years has been outstanding in my view. And of course, Professor Guillermo Valesco, whose main area of research is cannabinoids and gliomas and pancreatic cancer. And the interesting thing with uh, Guillermo, I immediately liked him because one of the first questions I asked him was, why did you pick gli uh, glioblastomas and pancreatic cancers, they're the two most aggressive cancers that we have and the ones that we have the least treatment for. And he said, Jeff, that's exactly why I chose them. And from that moment, I knew we'd get on great, and we have. So um, they've got a great um, team there at uh, Madrid, and I, I think that they're doing outstanding work. Jeff, in the work that you do, helping other people, and you encourage people to uh, make their own, uh, make their own oil, grow their own uh, cannabis, and you essentially educate people about cannabis. Do you see yourself as an educator? Um, definitely, because it goes back to the word I used earlier about empowering people. To me, it's very logical in the UK. I risk obviously being arrested and uh, going to prison. If parents are relying on me and the other members of Bud Buddies to make oil and supply oil to their children, if we get arrested or something else happens to us, all them kids, what's, what's going to happen to them? Their supply is cut off through no fault of our own or their parents. So we believe it's in the best interests of the kids themselves for us to teach the parents what we know we even um, smuggle oil samples from the oils that these parents make out of the country uh, to get them tested in Europe at a lab so we can let the parents know that they're doing well and as the kids hopefully get older then the parents can pass on their skills and their knowledge to their kids because they're going most of them will probably need a maintenance dose for life and I think that is the responsible way to do it. So that's why, you know, 
that was my main motivation for writing the book my main motivation for doing the websites and shouting off to anyone who'll listen about look after yourself empower yourself if you can't you can't trust anyone else trust yourself only jeff what's the biggest frustration in the work you do um well number one has to be prohibition because that is the cause of all my frustration the scammers especially people who are conning lying cheating parents out of money um on a profit basis at the expense of their kids i that that is disgusting to me and that is my pet peeve my not peeve that's too weak a word it's I'm trying to moderate my language because I know this goes out on the radio. No, that's uh, okay. We're, this is a podcast, so you, you can say it pisses you off. It fucks me off, to be honest. Okay. Um, and But again, that can only happen because of prohibition. Politicians keep telling us that prohibition is to protect people from drugs. Well, it's not. Prohibition, especially in this case, is now killing people. And prohibition, again in the case of cannabis, is actually protecting these scammers. Yeah, and the, U- we, the UK, yeah, we, UK is full of scammers, Jeff, as you're well aware. It is. The UK is probably the worst country uh, I'm aware of, certainly um, in Europe it is, uh, for the amount of scammers and uh, people who are conning out there, which is another reason why we want to empower parents to do things correctly. Then, the, then they're at no risk. If they can do it themselves, they're at no risk from the scammers, and that's where we believe we come in. And that's the best thing we think we can do is to uh, empower these parents, teach them what we know, so they can then pass that knowledge on to their kids, and it's the best way. That's a great idea. I don't know how some of these scammers can live with themselves, cheating well, cheating people out of their out of their hard-earned money who are trying we, to save themselves. I mean, yeah, it just, it's, it's people's lives at oh. stake. I, I was Skyping with um, two parents from the UK um, very recently, and they were scammed out of £5,000 um, late last year mm-hmm. by some guys in South Africa. And, you know, usual story, they have a young child, um, very advanced cancer, and they got chatting online to some guys in South Africa who sent them pictures of their lab, which subsequently turned out to be harvested off Google. And to cut a long story short, they sent £5,000 via Western Union to South Africa, and of course they didn't receive any oil. I asked them, didn't even think it was a scam, and the father, his words um, really struck home with me, because what he said was, Jeff, I was 95% convinced it was a scam. But, he said, for that 5% that it might happen, he said, that would torture me all my life, he said, because this is my child's last chance. And he didn't want to not get it and then torture himself forever, thinking, well, if I had spent that 5000 would that oil have come and would it have saved? So, but good news is, is obviously they got in touch with us after Christmas. Um they should be cropping in about a month's time and we've been supporting them in in, in the interim period so but there are a lot of parents going through similar things out there and who we don't hear about how many are being scammed i've even heard of scammers 
who are threatening, who, who extort money subsequently from parents who realise they've been scammed by exposing them to their local police. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeff, in conclusion, give us a plug for your book and your website. If anyone's interested, my name is Jeff Ditchfield. I have a book on Amazon called The Medical Cannabis Guidebook. I'm involved with an organization called Bud Buddies, and we have a very good video called Bud Buddies Project Storm on YouTube. Kelly Blackwell uh, with her son Darren and his journey with cannabis and his two cancers. That book is out on the 5th of April on Amazon, and that's called The Boy in 7 Billion. Jeff, it was good to meet you. Uh, actually, I'm going to say it's an honor to meet you. I think the work you're doing is a valuable public service, and I think people like you should be honored instead of thrown in jail. Well, who knows what's going to happen, but <laughs> That's right. um, as the end of Prohibition hopefully will uh, be a better quality life for all of us. Let's hope and pray for that day. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Jeff, thank you so very much. Hey, and you, Corian. Great to talk to you, darling. And um, one day I'll get, uh, we'll meet and I'll give you that hug I owe you. Right on. I'm going to hold you. <laughs> hold you to that. <laughs> okay. Take care. Okay. All the best to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it. Another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.